Thank you for joining us now again uh, for Jonah chapter 2. This is part 2. And uh, just want to say thank you if you've been listening uh, and you just jumped in on this particular podcast. I would encourage you to go back to the very beginning because we are covering uh, the book of Jonah one verse at a time. And so to jump in at this point, um, you would have missed everything that has happened. Um, and it really is a building block. So, you know, go back to the first chapter, start at the very first, at the beginning. Um, each podcast is in the neighborhood of around 20 minutes, uh, maybe some a little bit less, some a little bit more. Um, but it won't take you very long to get caught up. I would just encourage you to go back because one concept builds upon another. And to jump in at this point, uh, you may find yourself um, a little bit behind. So kind of like uh, being in a math class or something like that. Um, if you miss the concepts from earlier, it's going to be hard to continue to build uh, because it's just going to continue to get uh, a little deeper and deeper. So um, we're in chapter two, uh, which is a record of the prayer um, that Jonah prayed to the Lord. We left off uh, the last segment um, talking about how the recognition from Jonah is that salvation is of the Lord. There are three parts of Jonah's cry or Jonah's prayer. Um, and the first part of that is going to be uh, verses 1 and 2. That's where we're going to break it down. And that is the cry of affliction. The cry of affliction. We see that Jonah realizes that even though he's on the doorstep of death, uh, that God will answer him, that God has heard his cry. You know, Jonah's writing this account probably long after the events occurred. He's looking back at this moment in his life as a prophet, and he is recording what happened. Um, I would be surprised if he was this eloquent uh, and that he wrote a poem uh, at this time. Um, He's writing this as uh, someone who's looking back. You know, so looking back, he knows that God heard and answered. And it's obvious from the other events that occurred um, after his initial cry of distress. So in a way, these first two verses are almost like an introduction. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. Um, You know, perhaps you can do the same as Jonah. Maybe there have been times in your past uh, where you cried out to God and looking back on it, you know that he already answered you. Uh, But at the time, you weren't too sure how things were going to pan out for you. But the important thing is that you're able to trust that God is hearing you that he will answer your prayer, that he will answer your cry, even while you're in the midst of terrible circumstances. Uh, You know, take a note of the circumstances that you find yourself in. And note that oftentimes it's your own doing. It's just like Jonah. He was in the belly of this great fish because of his own disobedience. But... um, You know, just because you disobey and just because you're in the mess that you created for yourself, it doesn't mean that you cannot call out on God. I mean, if that was 
the prerequisite that none of us would ever be able to call out on God. We've all made mistakes. You know, I would remind you the Bible tells us in Romans that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. So call out to him and be confident when you do call out um, that he hears and he answers. He hears and he answers. Now, it may not be the answer that you want, but he is going to answer you. You know, Jonah's cry of distress was a plea for God's help. Jonah recognizes he was running from God. The Bible says twice in chapter 1 that he was trying to flee from God's presence and get away from the calling of God upon his life. And yet, when he got in trouble, God's the one to whom he calls. He calls out to God. It's like saying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to disobey you, God, uh, but my disobedience got me in some terrible kind of trouble here. So would you please get me out of this mess? Um, you know, God did hear Jonah's cry of affliction, and he will hear your cry of affliction. When you find yourself in bad circumstances, even if it's of your own making, you did it. I want to encourage you to cry out to God for help. The next part um, is the cry of faith. The cry of faith. And we see that in verses 3 through verse 7. The cry of faith. Notice what God does in verses 3, 5, and 6. He casts Jonah into the deep. You have this beautiful, poetic description of the flood, the floods, the waves, the billows. He says the seaweed or weeds are wrapped around his head. Why did God do that? Because Jonah was God's chosen man for a chosen work to be done. Jonah was called by God. And the Lord chastens those whom he loves. And that comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. A lot of times people will say, well, I'm going through this hard time because I'm out of the will of God or because God is punishing me. Or, you know, your friends may come to you and say, well, you've obviously got something wrong in your life. You know, God chastens those whom he loves. I would remind you that that's not necessarily always the case that he is working out something in you. It's not because you're out of the will of God, although certainly um, Jonah had disobeyed God. But I would encourage you to think of things as, look, the reason I'm being disciplined, the reason this is happening in my life is because God loves me, because he called me, and because I belong to him. In fact, if you've got it too easy, I almost wonder, are you really saved? Because the life of a believer is filled with discipline. Discipline from a father who loves you. So if you've been called by God uh, to the life uh, that's found in Christ, the life of salvation uh, and life of service, you belong to him and he loves you. And when you disobey, disobey, you can expect some discipline. So this is actually a sign that you're in God's family. It might hurt a little bit. Um, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you're being punished or that God is, uh, you've somehow displeased God.
but you should be glad that he's bringing the rod of correction into your life. And like I said before, it's for your good and it's for his glory. You know, so while Jonah's in the depths due to his own rebellion against God, he says, and I've brought this up before in the previous podcast, he says, I will look again toward your holy temple. I will look toward your holy temple. He's saying that he will once again worship God somewhere else <laughs> beyond the current circumstances and location where he finds himself. You know, he's saying, I'm not always going to be here. One of these days, somehow, some way, I'm going to worship God outside of these circumstances. In fact, if you had seen Jonah at the bottom of the sea wrapped up uh, in seaweed, and if you had heard him say, I will see the temple again, you might have thought he was crazy. Um, you might have thought, well, maybe he's talking figuratively or metaphorically. He's talking about a heavenly temple or something like that. But Jonah had faith. In this prayer, I do see the faith of Jonah. He had faith that God would hear, that God would answer, that God would rescue him from his erroneous uh, ways. That um, Jonah was expressing a faith in God. And God will respond to your cry of faith as well. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, he says, it's, for, it's by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. God will grant you the faith. The Bible is clear throughout. When God's children cry out to him, when they repent in that faith, he is quick to forgive. He is quick to take us back. He will restore you in that relationship with him. The question is, never will God respond. The question always is, will you cry out in faith? Because he will respond to the cry of faith. You know, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So, third part of the prayer, I want to focus on verse 8 and 9, and that is the cry of thanksgiving or praise. What a powerful, wonderful cry of praise we have here just in these last two verses, verse 8 and verse 9. Note that this came from Jonah while he was still in the belly of the fish still suffering the consequences of his own disobedient actions, Jonah praises the Lord even when he's dealing with these consequences and he's actually being disciplined by God. Notice there are four uh, subcategories or four subpoints, if you will, to his praise. Number one, sacrifice. When the, while he was in the belly of the fish, what exactly did Jonah have that he could sacrifice? Didn't have anything, did he? He was in the belly of a well. Didn't have a career, didn't have family, didn't have money. He's all by himself. But he did have one thing, and only one thing, and he offered it to God. And you know what it was? It was his life. Be assured of one thing. If you come back into a correct relationship with God 
after he has disciplined you, after you've been in disobedience, it is going to cost you everything. And that's something I think we miss. We miss it. We think that we can just go back to life as normal. Listen, it will cost you friends to follow Jesus. It's going to cost you maybe even family members, um, money, time, acceptance. You are going to be misunderstood. There's going to be times where you are trying to present the truth and uh, people are going to misunderstand you. It's not because of you. It's because their eyes are darkened to the truth. You're going to be called names. You're going to be the subject of gossip. It's going to cost you everything if you properly sacrifice and serve God. It will cost you. Jonah offered the rest of his life in total submission to God. If his life lasted another few seconds, or if God rescued him and he was going to live long enough to get back to Nineveh and preach to him, however long it was, he says, I'm going to follow the call of God. He had tried to run from God, and now he was going to submit. For the remainder of his life, I believe that he sacrificed all that he had. I believe he sacrificed his whole life. Doesn't mean that it was perfect. Doesn't mean there were some bumps in the road. We're even going to read at the very end of the chapter. Uh, God is still working out some things within Jonah, but it only proves that God is working for Jonah's good and for God's glory. Part of our praise to God should include the reminder and a recommitment that we have. Um, you know, recommit to the Lord. It's okay. Remind yourself. It's not that God has forgotten, but remind yourself, Lord, I'm committed to you. And, and just remember, you know, God, I'm going to live my life in submission to you every day. The other part of his prayer, uh, part number two, is his thanksgiving. You know, uh, thanks, giving thanks, being thankful, thanksgiving, Whenever you look at all of that together, did you know, as I said in the previous podcast, there's 150 times in the Bible where we're commanded to be thankful to God? You know, having sunk to the bottom of the sea, wrapped in seaweed, uh, really and truly finding himself as fish food, he says, I'm going to be thankful with a voice of thanksgiving. And then the third part, obedience obedience Jonah promises God now he made a vow it doesn't say exactly what the vow was but we can pretty much guess that he promised I'm going to do what God called me to do and I'm going to go back to Nineveh you know the Old Testament is so full of places where we are instructed to obey God um, there's just there's too many places to even talk about in one single lesson but um, on your own time, do a search on the word obey in the Old Testament. Um, God cautions us about making vows to the Lord. If you make a vow, you've got to be ready to keep it. In fact, the Bible says it's better not to make a vow uh, than to make a vow and not keep it. As a believer, God in his mercy and his grace toward you, he called you and you received Christ's free gift. You've entered into a covenant relationship with him you know as i've mentioned before he took on our sins and we take on his righteousness have you made a commitment to him that you refuse to keep hmm 
How can we turn back from that? How can we do anything other than be totally obedient to whatever he says? You see, your salvation isn't dependent upon what you do or what you said or the promise that you made. That's not why we obey. We now obey because it's part of our life. Obedience to Christ is our life. You know, the last part of this is really in his prayer. He makes a proclamation. And that proclamation is that salvation comes from God. It belongs to God. His blessings are for his people. You know, as we contemplate this final point in the prayer of Jonah, this final point of the proclamation that he's making, I would encourage you to read Psalm 62, verse 1, Revelation 7, 10. Again, go back to Psalm 3, 8, and you're going to see a theme there that salvation comes from God. It's not the only place in the scripture where it says it, but those are just three verses you could take a look at. You know, and I would just challenge you on something contrary to what you may have been told. You know, Jesus isn't standing at your door uh, just waiting for you to let him in. I want you to, to think about that. I know for many years I had this image in my mind of my heart's door, but there's no handle on the outside of that door. The handle is on the inside. And Jesus is just waiting on the outside. You know, as I began to search the scriptures and as I began to really and truly read the Bible and, and try not to come to the Bible with any of these ideas of what I thought or I had been taught, maybe through a tradition or whatever, I begin to see Jesus as really and truly the creator of all things, all powerful. In fact, I would remind you again of what he says in Matthew 28, where he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So here is God, the creator of everything, all powerful, all sovereign, um, infinite in every way, and all of his holy attributes but there's one thing that he cannot do, and that is he cannot save unless I give him permission to do so. You know, I just, I can't imagine a God like that. Now, there was a time where I certainly did, I certainly did imagine a God like that. But I would challenge you, if, if that's the image that you have where, where Jesus can't save unless you somehow grant him permission, I would challenge you to go back and search the scriptures. Um, you know, just like I made the comparison earlier about a uh, prophet, there's not one single example anywhere in scripture where a prophet asks God to make them a prophet. You know, the disciples, when Jesus calls his disciples 
There's not one single example of any disciple anywhere ever asking Jesus into their heart and into their life. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. We do want Jesus in our heart. We do want Jesus in our life. We want him to transform our mind by the washing of the word. We want a relationship with him. But my only point to you is simply this. The reason that I want those things, the reason that I've asked him into my life, is because he did the work first. Yes, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Jesus told us, that no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. So just think about it. Do you have control over who Jesus will save and who he will not save? You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Think about that. I know it's a hard concept for some people, but contemplate what I'm saying. You know, I used to... I, I was guilty of this. I would go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. But then as I began to study, study the scriptures, and I encourage you, dear Christian, to search the scriptures also. This verse is not a salvation verse. If you read it in context, you get a very different view of what's going on here. This is not a call to salvation with a doorknob on the inside of my heart. It is actually a view of Christ at his last call to the church when he arrives on the last day. Go back and read James chapter 5 verse 9. This verse doesn't have anything to do with a doorknob on the inside of your heart, and you're the only one that can open it, uh, of your own libertarian free will and let Jesus in. I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 1, read Romans 9, read Acts chapter 13, verse 48. God is sovereign in his salvation. However, that doesn't contradict or negate your responsibility to trust Christ as Savior, and it doesn't negate your responsibility to proclaim the gospel. Think about that. Don't be like Jonah and run away from the call. Christian, you've been called to share the gospel. Share what Jesus has done for you. Verse 10 is where we're going to leave it. It's the last verse in chapter 2. I want you to think about rescue restoration and resurrection. The three R's, not reading, writing, and arithmetic, but rescue, restoration, and resurrection from the dead. Or at least Jonah was near death. We'll say that. Jonah was given a second opportunity to be obedient and fulfill God's vision and God's purpose for Jonah. Salvation did indeed come from the Lord to Jonah. And we're going to see salvation is going to come to the Ninevites as well. Those Gentile pagan Ninevites, those wicked people who worship many gods and do all those evil and wicked and mean and nasty things. So what do you think God's going to do in your life? Are you going to respond as Jonah did? Hopefully, you'll respond like Jonah did 
after the big fish, and hopefully you won't have to go through the big fish. That being said, listen, may God bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. I hope that this Bible study is an encouragement to you, dear Christian. Go with God in his blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.